Hello and welcome to another episode of The Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me today, I have Logan. How are you, Logan? Good morning, Alex. Yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, it is a good morning because we are uh, recording this episode in the morning um, Australian time. It's about, what's that, almost 11 p.m. in the UK. Um, but the reason we're doing that is we've just come off a really great, really enjoyable episode of um, The Wise Men Say, which was uh, a sort of extended Christmas episode with them. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, absolutely. Great to meet um, Alex and John and, and see what the, the wise men are doing over there. Um, you know, reasonably new to the, the podcasting world this year, but uh, just great ideas and, and some great guys as well. Um, really gave us a, a deep insight as to um, their uh, time and, um, I guess, experience of supporting City. And, yeah, it was great to, great to chat with those guys. Yeah, yeah, it was great doing, um, we're obviously not going to spoil too much of it because that episode will come out um, probably in the next day, um, but it was great doing the sort of, they had the, the rapid fire questions, which was kind of cool to delve into our um, our uh, past on how we sort of became City supporters and favourite players and favourite memories and that sort of thing. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to hear, hear from those guys, like the insights of, um, you know, certain away days and stuff that they've been on and just the, the people that they... Um, uh, you know, had experience with or first-hand experience with around the club and obviously on the back of their uh, interview with Brian Horton the other week, which was a great listen as well. Um, if you haven't checked that out, I strongly recommend that you uh, that you make the time and, and go and do that. Yeah, that definitely. And that's a great one because I, I actually didn't mention that when we were on, on the episode with them, but that interview with um, Brian Horton was was fantastic. You know, it was, it was a great listen, um, some really good stories, not just about his time at City, but just his time in football in general. Um, there was a Particularly cool story, I thought of of when he met Pep Guardiola, which I won't I won't spoil too much, but that was a really cool story as well. Um, and uh, yeah, look, it was a really great interview. So those guys did, did a really good job on that one. Yeah, and I think one of the the things that kind of hit me with it, and again, not giving too much away, was just the um, the, the family atmosphere that uh, the club like City presents, like the connections that that he made in his time um, playing at Hull and um, and managing there, and just um, it was fantastic to hear. Um, you know, just what the club means to him and, and some of the things that he got to um, enjoy while he was there. So it was really insightful, a great interview. Yeah, definitely. So check out both of those, the, the Brian Horton one, and then keep an eye out for the um, Christmas special with us as well. Um, so I think because we didn't have an episode last week and then um, we we delve into the game specifically on um, the Wise Men Say episode, I don't want to retread uh ground and, and sort of overlap with that I thought um, it might be better to sort of look at the last couple of weeks of performances as a whole and um, get your thoughts on where you see City at at this point in the season um, we're going to do a sort of a mid-season review next week with um, with Brad and Dan as well but um, I guess coming into this festive period it's, it's sort of traditionally um, a more congested period it's sort of the, the, the part of the season where the contenders are sort of separated from the pretenders and um, I guess the concerning thing would be to look at our form in the last week or so and, and start to think, are we pretenders? Are we not actually potentially in the in the hunt for promotion? Which might be a bit of an overreaction. We are still first, but um, it's probably a question that starts needing to be asked. How, how do you see it? Well, what a, I think you just touched on it in the, in the way that you uh, phrased that question is, I mean, what's the expectations if at the start of the season 
we were asked if we'd be, you know, two points up on top of the league um, heading into December, we would have snatched a handoff. Um, and I guess the fact that we're still able to be sitting in that position, uh, granted the fact it's been a pretty poor patch of form um, in the last uh, recent, even just week, as you mentioned, I think that really uh, highlights to us just how much we have achieved in this in this short period. Um, I'm not on the doom and gloom uh, train yet. I think there's uh, a huge level of, of optimism um, around the club uh, at the moment still, uh, the fact that, that we're still top of the league. But um, even more so, I think that um, we, we did touch on the Wise Man podcast as well, but the Blackpool loss wasn't exactly um, one that we got blown away with. It wasn't great and it was certainly uh, hurts more because it was at the death and, and the fashion of it. Also, the fact that the, the game before um, against Shrewsbury was just ho- horrible from um, from start to finish. But if you take those results away, um, you can really start to see that, uh, you know, it's not uncommon if you if you reflect on the top six and the, even as far down as the top 10 um, in this league for, for teams to be stuttering. Um, Peterborough went out to an early lead and you can see that they've had their uh, problems. Portsmouth started reasonably poorly and then came back to the pack. So uh, it's uh, are we just in the same situation as, as those leagues? And that's the nature of the league. I mean, if, if we go and look at the teams that we have lost to, City's problems uh, seem to be far more, um, you know, I guess glaring when we verse those teams in the lesser positions or lower down the table than it is against um, the the teams that we've played that are mid and um, and the upper echelon. So certainly not time for doom and gloom. Um, I do think that it's a time that's, that's pivotal when, if you look at our, our upcoming fixtures around this December break, but there's still a very long way to go and we still have to have that reality check that two points clear at the top of the league uh, with a game in hand is, is not a bad position to be in. Yeah, definitely. And look, it's a great point as well about the inconsistency of form is, you know, if you look at the top five in the division, um, only Lincoln have won three in their last five. Everyone else just has two wins in their last five. Um, and even Lincoln with those three wins, they've lost their last two games. So um, I think a lot of teams are stuttering and and no one's really putting the form together. Um, I guess the scary thing is when you do look at the table, um, there's us ahead on, on 34 points, but then there's four teams right behind us on 32 points. So um, I think we've gotten quite lucky in the last few games that we're still top and clear at the top um, because the sides behind us are sort of stuttering. But it, it, you kind of get the sense now there's sort of a pile-up forming right behind us that if we were to drop points again um, come the weekend against Portsmouth, quite obviously, I mean, unless it's a draw, Portsmouth will jump ahead of us and other sides may well do so as well. But... Look, you're right. I mean, pre-season, I think um, most City supporters were probably just hoping for mid-table finish, upper mid-half, um, challenge for promotion, maybe playoff places if we're lucky. Um, I would not suspect any City supporters thought we would be clear at the top of the table with a game in hand on um, both second and third place um, at this point of the season. So um, we've, we've certainly outperformed in that sense, but I think with that comes expectation and comes increased pressure on McCann. Um, and I guess I wanted to ask you, and it's it's not really something that we touched on in any great detail on, on the Wiseman Say episode, but um, McCann's place at the club, you know, very reactionary to maybe suggest it, but given the, given the fact that we're top of the table, um, given the way that we fell off last season and also given the way that he's treated certain players, we'll talk about the KLP situation in a second, is there any concern from you about a his his tactics or his 
refusal to sort of change formation or, or change um, structure during the game and B, perhaps his man management skills and, and whether we're seeing any sort of concerning trends starting to emerge again this season? Yeah, there's a lot to consider with that. And I think if, if we're to reflect on McCann as a whole, I mean, his time at the club uh, when last year was a very, or last season was an incredibly poor uh, end to the season. I think many of us were surprised um, that he was reappointed Um like convincingly, I don't think there was ever a real doubt from any of the communications uh, coming out of Hull that the Alums were um, looking to offload McCann. So the fact that they stuck with him to me, uh, well, tells all of us that he has a very good working relationship and perhaps that's because he's just the yes man who, um, you know, seems to to toe the line and do essentially what is asked of him um, by the owners. Um so that's that's the first thing. I don't think his his job is in jeopardy in, in no way, um, shape or form. Do I see his uh, time at the club limited, given the fact where we sit in the league? Uh, the last couple of weeks, and we've talked particularly about the last week and the last few results that we've had, have been um, really unconvincing. And I guess that we do point to that um, he is somewhat of a one-trick pony with the 4-3-3 the formation and um, his inability to to make the right substitutions at the right time um, and to even just uh, tinker with things in the system. Uh, I think that everyone who plays us knows exactly what they're up against now. Um, and there's something about a vulnerability in that, that if teams do have us figured out and this form slump continues uh, and we find ourselves, you know, back on the, the curtails of the top six or something uh, drastic like that, then I think those questions um, will have a lot more validation as to, what McCann's position is. Uh, in regards to his man management skills, uh, I think that uh, we will we will talk more about the Kane Lewis Potter situation. But very interesting for him to come out in the way that he did and and make it really clear that the reason um, Kane wasn't in the starting lineup at Blackpool was because he hadn't signed that deal. And I think that um, we need to be really careful in the way that. Uh, we read into what McCann says. I, I, I mentioned this on the Wise Man podcast as well, but we really need to see what happens in the next week. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the start of the season um, was the fact that we did have a, a you know, a, a new um, crop of, of players that did come in. And with those fresh signings, it seemed that a lot of the tension and um, concerns that we had within the playing group and the dressing room were alleviated. And there seemed to be this uh, really galvanised group. And, I just wonder how much the Ken Lewis-Potter situation and the comments that McCann specifically made um, may jeopardise that. And so that's that's what my fear is, uh, but I still would like to see how it unfolds before I, um, you know, make any any concrete claims as to, to what I think has happened and how, how dangerous or um, precarious the position it does leave the um, city side in. Yeah, and and I guess bringing in in that news of the the Lewis Potter contract talks, which, um, you know, I was starting to get a sense of because you know similar to other players where um, we we sort of put out a comment or you know McCann will make a comment quite early in the season that you know we've same thing happened with Device and Burke last season, which I don't even think Burke still signed a deal, but um, where I think it was last season they talked about Burke and Device in talks for new contracts and it just never materialized and similar with this i think lewis potter was said to be in talks quite early in the season and it's just sort of been radio silence and in a way when we see the news about billy chadwick and uh fleming and uh i think there was one and graves of course all signing new deals 
it's almost um, it makes it more apparent that there's issues with Lewis Potter that all these other players are being signed up and that we're announcing it and we're still not hearing anything from um, the negotiations with Lewis Potter and um, the fact that you know I think he he was out of the side initially because he was isolating because of COVID and then he was you know working back to fitness so there was sort of a bit of uh, understanding for why he wasn't in the side um, but now it's obviously been the question's been asked about why he's not in the side and, and it's come out that it's because of his contract and I just think it's you know the kids I think he's only 19 um, I think it's pretty unfair on him to have that negotiation aired so publicly and by his manager um, to sort of essentially I, I can only presume it's essentially to pressure him into signing a new deal I mean I would have imagined if Burnsy's asking McCann why isn't Lewis Potter in the starting 11 McCann will say oh look there's a few issues that we're working on with Keane he knows he's aware of what they are um, and we'll leave it we'll leave it in the dressing room sort of thing because then whether it's you know people could say oh is it his fitness is it is it tactics is it motivation is it whatever um, I mean, thinking about it, maybe that's worse because there's more speculation and more negativity towards Kane. But at the same time, at least then you're not calling him out on specifically what it is. And and I think that's potentially going to cause issues with other players. Other players will look at it and say, well, geez, if I don't if I don't sign on the dotted line at the first offer that City give me, are they going to hang me out to dry and, and sort of uh, turn me over with the supporters? And, and, and it may well be the case that we don't know, for instance, what sort of wage they're offering Kane. Is that an issue? Because we know with other former City Academy players that we basically said, you know, sign at a very, very minimally increased wage, even though your performances would suggest that you should be on a lot more than that. Um, it's difficult to know without knowing what the what the full story is. Yeah, and I think I did read that uh, one of the big hang-ups on the, the contract is I heard that the deal was uh, reasonably close, but... I think City were trying to uh, look for an extended year. And, um, yeah, I mean, if it's reasonably close, it just seems such an overreaction to, to hang him out to dry like this. If it's, if it's not even as if they're, if, they're, if they're miles apart, you go, okay, fine, we're going to make a stand. But if, if you're close, it just it's just bizarre. Yeah, and as you've mentioned as well, like there's so many other things that they can tell the media or um, speak into. Like it would be fine for McCann to come out and, and say that the reason that he's playing uh, this system or the reason he's selected this team is because of X, Y, Z. That's, you know, what he said. I wanted to keep, you know, Kane fresh for uh, the weekend against uh, Portsmouth or any of any of the above, uh, you know, insert excuse here. Um, City fans are very, very quick to forgive as all football fans are when the results are, are going the right way. And I think that, um, you know, for McCann as a, as a manager to, to cop a little bit of hate or criticism over his team selection is a far lesser... Um, problem than it is to, as you mentioned, hang out a, um, you know, a 19, 20-year-old to, to dry, so to speak. Um, and, and I think that that is, is a really significant issue, particularly if it, it does affect the dressing room. I, I mean, I, we're, we're hopeful that in the next week, um, you know, whatever is going on uh, is resolved and, and can put to pen to paper and uh, we're able to forget about this and we can just say that, you know, we're making a, a mountain out of a molehill and that would be a, an ideal scenario. But until we see what happens in the next week, I think we just have to um, tread with caution. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, well, we'll move on to another um, promising young city support city player who who did put pen to paper recently, um, in the form of Jacob Greaves, um, who's our player focus for the week. Um, only recently broken into the city first team, um, who's the son obviously of former city legend Mark Greaves, who played for City between '96 and 2002, making. 
204 appearances, which um, is is a pretty impressive number these days. Um, you know, I don't think you get many players who are going to come close to that sort of appearance stat. Um, interestingly, you know, Jacob was born while Mark was playing for City, so um, extra little bit of connection there for Jacob as well. But you know, Hull local, grown up in 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 the city, um, was out on loan at Cheltenham last season. But um, we sort of heard coming into this season that both he and um, Max Sheaf had, had had really good loan spells and would sort of be around the first team. And Greaves, funnily enough, I, the two, if you'd asked me which of the two was more likely to break into the side, I would have thought Sheaf because um, that centre-back position is so saturated with players for us um, with more senior bodies like Device and McLaughlin and, and you know, and then we brought in um, uh, Festus Arthur as well, who was very highly rated and, and other guys like that who, who you'd think would maybe be ahead of him in the pecking order. But, um, you know, he, he took his chance in the EFL Trophy. I think he made his debut against Leicester's under-21s um, and, and then, you know, came into the league shortly after that, um, I think in October, uh, and hasn't really put a foot wrong. So, um, you know, and yeah, and signed a new deal as well, which is mm. great for him, uh, you know, not to say that it's, it's any you know reflection on Lewis Potter that he hasn't, but it's great for Greaves for that to have that certainty to be rewarded for his performances and um, to really sort of make that transition into the senior side. Yeah, and let's not forget just that feed in itself is, I mean, what a difference twelve months can make. Is he's keeping none other than Jordy Device out of the squad, and yeah. granted, Device's form hasn't been great, but if we you know wind back the clock 12 months or around about 12 months time when we had that um you know that precarious uh, championship run in and the device was injured and everyone was kind of uh, sitting on the fence saying well once the device comes back or once the once the covid stuff is over um and we get device back we'll, it'll be like a new signing it'll be fine you know city's defense will be shored up um, and this is a, it's a player with incredible pedigree, and um, you know we've we've often um, on on this podcast um, praised Device for for being a, a leader in the team and um, one of City's more uh, pivotal players. And so for um, for him to him to fall off, um, I, I don't know if it's necessarily just related to Device being out of form, or if, if Graves, as you said, has just come on in um, in droves and. And really impressed in his game, and uh, I mean, he, he's hardly put a foot wrong since he's uh, taken that position, and, and it's it's warranted, and rightfully so. Jordy Device finds himself, you know, scratching to get back into the team, and that's a, a testament. Not even on the bench sometimes, yeah, that's right, and that's that's a real testament to um to, to how Graves is playing, and uh, the fact that he is, as you said, a, a you know, at academy prospect, a, a local junior who's been out on loan spells and and proven his worth, it's it's fantastic for the club and um, and fantastic for him personally, as you mentioned. Yeah, and look, and, it, and it's great as well because, you know, you mentioned Device and uh, I think I posed to Dan in a previous episode, I, it would be interesting to see what happens in January with Device and, and I would suspect he's going to be pushing for a move to leave the club. Um, and if you'd sort of said six months ago that we could sell Device and, and not really miss him or not really sort of regret selling him, um, I'd be surprised. But Greaves has really come in and made it. It's it sort of reminds me of, in a way, Harry Maguire's emergence when he when we. Well, I mean, we brought him in as quite a young kid, and yes, he had a whole lot more senior experience. But um, we were sort of calling out for Maguire to get more game time anyway. But you know, coming into that side when you had Michael Dawson and Curtis Davies and Alex Bruce, um, he just sort of slotted in seamlessly. And and once he broke through, there was that sense of okay, well, we can actually rely on him. We don't need these more senior guys if they're if they're injured or if they get sold or what have you. Um, it's really it's really refreshing to have a young, hungry player who's sort of going to improve, 
if we were to be promoted, for example, I'd be quite happy to sort of give him that chance to start in our championship, you know, championship position um, to see if he can, you know, he was playing League Two last season. He's now playing League One, whether he can then make that step up again. Um, you know, as you see with guys like Sam Lucas and stuff, who sort of rise through the through the divisions. But um, it'll, it's a really exciting time for him as, as a player. It's a really t- exciting time for us as supporters to watch him grow and develop. And um, I'd be really interested to see what happens with Device now and whether whether we do look to move him on. Yeah, and I think that again, it's it's worth noting that where we are in the end December, and um, you know, a lot can happen between now and the end of the yep. season. It's, it's very likely that um, with that time, uh, uh, you know, touch wood, I hope this doesn't happen, but if, if Greg's or, um, or Reese Burke were to be injured, um, having someone of the calibre of Geordie Device to come straight back in is, uh, it, you know, is, is incredible for, for a League One uh, side. And I think that that's, you know, worth noting. And so uh, I haven't given up on Device yet, but uh, just the, in the way that Burke and, and Greaves are both playing, it's, it's just fantastic. And I, I concur, if, if we were to get promoted and, uh, you know, City do find themselves in the championship, I certainly see no reason as to why um, Greaves shouldn't be given the, the first opportunity to, um, you know, to, to try and defend his place in the, in the squad at, at centre-back, for sure. He's, he's, he's proven, us, uh, proven to us sorry, um, that he's more than capable. And as you mentioned, with Sam Clucas is a great example um, you don't really have any hesitations of of seeing how he wouldn't be able to go on and um and and improve to the to the the next division up. No, definitely, definitely. Um, but we'll 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 look ahead now to a pretty big clash um at the rather painful time of four thirty in the morning our time uh, Saturday morning against Portsmouth. Top of the table clash. I mean, I'm trying to think. I think when we played Ipswich, Ipswich they were second in the table as well. So this might be our second um, top of the table clash. Um, 34 points versus 32 points, um, real six-pointer on our hands. Um, you know, sort of alluded to before in, in terms of form, um, Portsmouth have won two of their last five, which is the same as us, with um, two draws thrown in there versus our two losses. Um, so, so pretty even when it comes to when it comes to form. They've they've scored a goal more than us, but they have played an additional game to us. Um, they're managed by Kenny Jacket, who I mean, I, I probably associate most strongly with his fellow Millwall, um, where he did a reasonably decent job for them. Um, but he came into Portsmouth back in 2017 um, and, and has sort of been there since then. And uh, I think, I, I mean, I think they were League One at that point, so he sort of kind of kept them in League One and hasn't quite pushed on to get them promoted back to the championship. Um, but I think Portsmouth, it, it's sort of funny because we've just played Blackpool as well, who are another club where... Um, obviously reasonably recent Premier League stints, but then really sort of went into freefall and plummeted through to the divisions. And both Blackpool and and Portsmouth have recovered reasonably well to become uh, solid, stable championship or, you know, lower championship or probably upper League One clubs, um, which in, in its own sense is sad that they don't have any sort of lasting legacy of that Premier League stint. But in a way, it's also reassuring that, you know, you look at Bolton in League Two, who are sort of starting to put some form together. But you know, you look at other other sides in League Two who were in the Premier League or or uh, First Division back in the day, like you know Bradford, uh, sort of struggling in League Two. Um, it is it is heartening to see that Portsmouth have sort of put it together and, and sort of recovered as a club and and sort of putting themselves on a path back towards being what they once were. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's the, uh, the something that we can empathise with, um, given the the steady mm. free 
football that we found ourselves in over the last couple of years and the decline from a you know double relegation and uh, i think that um you know not being not being supporters of those big uh, big glory clubs is uh, there's there's a, a genuine respect and um, an understanding of those lower divisions um, of what it takes to actually get out of it and um and i guess the the path that is ahead of um of those clubs, so yeah, I, I concur. It's it's great to see um, Portsmouth um, on the on the uh, incline, and also just um, I thought they were really unlucky not to find themselves in the championship last year. They yeah. they fell at the end, and then with the with the COVID stuff, you had that really um, really strange playoff uh, system where Wickham ended up finding themselves um, sneaking through. But um, yeah. Portsmouth certainly knocking on the door, and um, I think when I when I looked at the the league at the beginning of the season and, and started to make predictions, I I had Portsmouth well and truly um, finding themselves in the in the top six, and so it's no surprise to me that when they visit the KCOM on Saturday um, or Friday night uh, UK time, uh, that it will that they're sitting second in the table, and um, yeah, really are going to be a threat to this competition. Yeah, look, I think it's really interesting. I think Ipswich is another one who last season started off really strongly and then sort of fell away where you could say they were perhaps a bit unfortunate, but certainly Portsmouth in the way that that playoff system ended up. Um, it's an interesting one because I sort of I sort of touched on it on the, um, the Wise Men Say episode, but with the way that the League One season ended back in March, I think it was, um, given that the championship season continued to the end, I, I'm sort of curious to see if... Um, you know, our fast start to the season, Charlton having a reasonable start to the season as well, um, sort of impacted by that uh, maybe, you know, increased or improved fitness as compared to other other sides in the division. I mean, you look at, sure, we've recruited Josh Emmanuel and um, and Smallwood, who probably didn't play a whole lot for Blackburn last season, and a few others who, who wouldn't have had that benefit. But um, I wonder if, you know, you're sort of seeing, and, and I guess it's an even bigger credit to Portsmouth that they are doing as well as they are, given how disjointed their end to their last season would have been. Yeah, it's a, a really interesting point. And I, I think that it's it's worth looking at this, um, it, I guess, in a broader scheme, is understanding that those those teams, as you mentioned, like the the Charltons of the world and and, and I guess us, being able to, to, to come in with that, um, you know, hit the ground running, I, I guess the question that I, I would then add to is, well, what's that going to look like for the back end of the season? And and is that, um, you know, one of the things that, that we can expect to see over this, um, you know, pretty jam-packed uh, Christmas period um, with the way that McCann uses, um, you know, his playing roster and, um, and and the squad selection purely based on the fact that, you know, the the challenges that, that we're facing now are probably perhaps uh, more, you know, associated to fatigue uh, or potentially uh, as opposed to those teams that have had a, a kind of reverse where they've had a, a longer preseason um, and may have started slower, but now seem to have crap. So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point and I, I guess only time will tell. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely worth thinking about. Yeah, um, so it's it's certainly going to be interesting from that perspective. Um, and then I guess another aspect to look at as well is um, potential changes to the side for the game. Um, I guess the big, well, two talking points, we've already sort of touched on Lewis Potter, but the other one was the fact that George Honeyman was absent. And I don't know if I haven't seen any news on what actually kept him out, whether it was just a tightness or, a, or an injury or something like that. Have you- it, was, uh, it was reported that it was a tight, a tight hamstring. So, um, okay. He um, at training he um, he sat out or he he moved out of the drill. I don't think that it's it's anything significant. They are hopeful that he will be back for the Portsmouth clash, right. um, but 
it, Blackpool just came uh, too soon for him. And I, I suspect that McCann uh, probably did look ahead um, to the upcoming um, fixtures and, and see that there's some really crucial games and probably thought that, um, you know, he'd rather be uh, safe than sorry and, and make sure the Honeyman's available for, for those, um, which I, I don't have a problem with. Yeah, and I suspect it's probably the same reason why um, Emmanuel was rested for Coil against Blackpool as well, just because Emmanuel's uh, playing style, I guess, would be very taxing on him. So I think giving him that rest before that run-in of games, um, you know, it's one of those, in hindsight, we lost the Blackpool game, so maybe you, you play a stronger side against Blackpool to secure the win, but then if you lose the game against uh, Ips, uh, against Portsmouth, maybe that's a more damaging game to lose because of their position in the table. So I think that's probably why he's prioritised that Portsmouth game. Um, I suspect, you know, we'll probably see Emmanuel back in the side and, and in that case, probably Honeyman as well. Um, I, I guess all eyes will be on our front three. Do you do you foresee any changes to that front three? Do you see any potential for a surprise Lewis Potter return to the starting eleven? Look, fingers and toes crossed that that is uh, what yeah. I think that, um, you know, to speak for, for nearly every single fan of that. Um, one of the things that uh, is worth noting about that as well is how we have had multiple goal scorers. Even Tom Eaves, um, who is copying it uh, from every single angle whenever you uh, look at any of the social media posts, um, he doesn't seem to be um, certainly revered by many City fans at the moment. It's still managed to pop up for um, a, a really significant return in the in the limited minutes that he has played. Um, I, I, do, I do understand the frustrations, but if you think about the form that Magenis um, has been showing as well, who's, who's probably reached a level that I didn't expect him to have um, in, in the way that he is a real threat, just a physical throw himself about, um, and, and has really shown some great finishing as well. Um, yeah. The fact that you've got um, Ken Lewis, Potter, Eves, McGinnis all popping up, and, and Wilkes, of course, um, you know, who, who have been reasonably prolific, um, it's a really good goal against um, Blackpool, I've got to say as well. We haven't touched on that, but that that finish for his goal was very composed. Yeah, and and what a what a situation to be in. Right? I mean, we, we find ourselves often, um, you know, bemoaning these these poor results recently, and then we have the reality check of well, we're still two points clear at the top, and every single person in our in our attacking line, um, with the exception of uh, KLP, due to you know the recent times with with COVID and all the rest of it. Um, have have been extremely prolific, and yeah. I mean, if if we were going through these games and you know getting beaten one nil, two nil, three nil week in week out without finding ourselves on the score sheet, then I think there would be a real um, you know reason or cause for concern. But the fact that that's not the situation, I, I think that I still go into any game that we play with it with a sense of optimism. Going, we do know that the the chances of us scoring are strong. What what the team selection looks like with the three that um, that McCann goes with against Portsmouth, I, I'm not so sure, um, and it, it hinges heavily on the KLP situation. But it's also not a, a large concern because I feel that whoever does get um, given the nod, um, I'm confident that they they will be able to go out and, and put in a performance, particularly given the fact that he's one of those uh, bigger games or our, our first yeah. real pointer. Yeah, and, and I guess, and also. Um... One player that we haven't touched on yet, but who I did make note of this morning and just completely forgot to bring up was Callum Elder, who supplied the assists for both goals against Blackpool, is quietly starting to put together quite a solid season. I think he had a bit of a slow start to the season and there was a few murmurings about potentially getting Fleming into the side. But 
Um, in recent times, I f- I'm forgetting which game it was in particular. There was a game recently where I thought he had his best game of the season. Um, it might have actually been, I don't know if it was the Oxford game or it might have been a game before that, but you know, he, he, he's been putting in some tremendous displays recently and, and then got both assists for the goals um, against Blackpool, which was, which was great to see. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I guess we're, we're going to always be very fond of Callum Elder, um, given where we come from, and uh, we enjoy the the Australian connection to the city as well. But yeah, the Sydney Sider as well. Yeah, I think I think he might have even grown up in Manly, so very local, very close indeed. And um, yeah. yeah, to see the success that um, that you know that he's bringing, the form that he's in is is fantastic as well. And so you know, long may that continue. Um, if we've got uh, Emmanuel and Elder um, steaming down the the flanks and, and whipping balls in, um, you know, it's a really promising time. Yeah, always going to be creating opportunities with those two in the side. Absolutely. Um, I guess then the tricky question is, what's your score prediction for this one? Yeah, I, I, I'm really confident. I, I think that this is going to be one of those games. I, I haven't had the same feeling with um, with the with the last two games, uh, but I, I think that we're going to make a really good account of ourselves. And I'm I'm expecting, and I'm optimistically hoping and praying for a two nil uh, victory. Yeah, I, I look. I am. I am closer to your optimism than I would have been. I think it's interesting if we had done an episode last week, I was very cautious about that Blackpool game. And in fact, in my the tipping competition that I'm a part of, I actually tip, tipped Blackpool in that one, which was uh, much to the disgust of uh, podcast guests, Mitch and Mike both uh, did not enjoy that. But uh, I, I guess I guess I sort of was proved correct in the end. And so, you know, Blackpool's form was a real concern for me. But I think, I think with Portsmouth, um, the fact that, they'll sort of see it as an opportunity to go, kind of go at us. I, well, I, I think it can go one of two ways, and it's, this is sort of echoing what I said on the uh, Wiseman Say episode, but either they'll be be smart. Unfortunately, they could be smart and look at the last few games from us and, and use those as a blueprint for how to approach us and sort of press us and, and really sort of uh, not give us any time on the ball um, and sort of grind out a result, or they can and kind of come at us and, and play their own style and play more expansive, in which case I think we'd see a result similar to the Ipswich game. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that, that they'll approach it from there. You know, they want to go out and win. They don't want to stop us from winning in that sort of sense, if that makes sense, and they'll sort of play their own style. Um, so I, I could see, a, you know, 2-1 or a 2-0 victory for us, which, which would be uh, fantastic to get back to winning ways and sort of, calm down the uh, the nervous murmurings that are going around because look as you say we are we are still two points clear at the top and we, we actually have a game in hand on both Portsmouth and Peterborough um, and Ipswich I mean it's only Lincoln who are on the same amount of games played as us and then um, you know there was the news recently the reason we're only previewing the Portsmouth game uh, yeah the Portsmouth game is the Sunderland game has been postponed due to uh, COVID cases in their squad so we will end up having two games in hand on a lot of sides which you know, in some cases, having games in hand, if you're at the bottom fighting relegation, I think it's a real bad thing to have because you're you're sort of the mentality is that you're those three points behind and you know the pressure is on to get those three points just to sort of keep up. Whereas right. at the top, I think it's almost a good thing because the fact that we're top with a game in hand, it actually lets those players play a bit freer. I think there's a little less uh, pressure on the games coming up because they know that they've still got those games in hand where they can catch up if they need to. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that in, in some ways you're, you're right, but I also think that it probably that uh, the drop points at, at Blackpool really uh, highlights the importance of, of this game, uh, yeah. given the fact that it is one of us too. Just psychologically, if you're able to beat the, um, the second team, 
um, and particularly if other results fall our way and we end up with a with a five point gap, um, you know that that's hugely significant. And one thing I will say as well, I forgot to mention is um, a, a good friend. Um, he's a he's a Portsmouth fan, so Richie, if you if you're watching, um, and I have it on good account that he always feels very nervous when Portsmouth play away from home and thinks that their form okay. is is horrible away from Fratton Park. So um, that might also be uh, one of the factors that. I have in the back of my mind as I as I make my prediction. Yeah, I think there's a few Aussie Portsmouth supporters because my old manager at um, an accounting firm I used to work at was a Portsmouth supporter as well. And back then, that would have been about 2015, 2016, back when they were, you know, sort of League Two. And he, he'd sort of, he, he was a supporter from the Premier League days and was sort of glumly still supporting them while they were sort of dropping through the divisions. So it look, and as we said earlier, look, it is good to see that they're starting to make their way back up. Um, I think there's, you know, probably not to the same extent as a club like Leeds, but I do suspect there's a very, very much a sleeping giant of uh, international Portsmouth supporters who've sort of suffered through some pretty hard years and and, and might finally start to be seeing some lighter days ahead. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and good luck to them after uh, after this week. After right? yeah, after this week, yeah, exactly right. There's there's two automatic spots that you know they're welcome to the second one, just not the first. But look, thank you for joining me for this episode today, Logan. We've sort of done back-to-back podcast episodes this morning, but it's uh, it's been a good morning. It's been three hours of talking all things city. It's it's been a joy. Brilliant, brilliant, um, absolutely. And uh, look, you know, as we mentioned earlier, we are doing our uh, mid-season sort of review of the season so far. We'll kind of look at you know make you know favorite goals, best games, that sort of thing. Um, so we're going to be doing that uh, Monday evening our time, which I guess is Monday morning UK time. So. Keep an eye out for that, everyone else. Um, And then, until then, come on. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter, at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning